My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I was delighted to be joined by Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare, both from The Athletic. Jack and Charlie joined me to talk about Tottenham. Um, Of course, we did record an episode not too long ago on Tottenham, but in the time since, lots has changed. Uh, So uh, there's a lot more more to discuss now, not least Jose Mourinho um, and uh, three games played so far under him. Um, This episode of the podcast is supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. Get a 30-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. And thank you very much for downloading. Jack, thanks for coming back, man. We weren't expecting to have you back so soon, but um, events have occurred and uh, your presence is necessary. Also, welcome to Charlie Eccleshare, your first time here. Thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can we start uh, with you guys, whoever wants to go, I don't mind, uh, just walking us through what happened with the relationship with Pochettino? Because I've read some stuff about how maybe that could have ended in the summer or was expected to if um, results had gone better in the Champions League final. Um, what, what, what happened and how far back are we going? I think we have to go back into last season, certainly. There's no getting past the fact that Pochettino is a very demanding manager. The, the style of football he wants to play is very difficult and it requires the players to be incredibly fit, to do endless training sessions, double sessions, not many days off, to make themselves physically ready to play his style. He's also very, um, he's quite controlling in terms of what he wants his players to do and say, uh, and inevitably players will get tired of this. I mean, this is something we see in football a lot. Even the very, very best managers in the world, and I think Pochettino is is in that bracket, they, they can only get through to their players for three, four, five years. I think we see this with Pep Guardiola, Antonio Conte, Jurgen Klopp at the end at Dortmund, and... I think we can now say with the benefit of hindsight that that is what happened to Pochettino. The players basically got tired. And even though Spurs did fantastically well getting to the Champions League final last year, if you look at their Premier League form, they were rubbish after Christmas, basically. They they barely played well at all. They were scraping over the line. And were it not for the fact that Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United had all struggled, Spurs probably wouldn't have finished in the top four. So I think Spurs had been on a gradual decline from maybe about January 2019, I think. I think the first, time that I, the first time I saw them and thought, wow, they don't really look like Spurs anymore was when they lost the League Cup semi-final to Chelsea uh, at the start of this calendar year. And that decline continued over the course of this summer. Mm. Um, he hadn't... There had not been enough signings in the previous summer, that is 2018, to refresh the squad in such a way that Pochettino could get more energy out of, that, out of the players. The business that they did this summer, signing Sessegnon, Le Celso and Ndombele, was, I think, ultimately too little too late. And this meant that there was no fix, there was no way to fix this kind of lack of, this depletion of energy in the squad. And I think from speaking to, to sources connected to the Spurs squad, the overall feeling was, we've given this guy everything, we've worked so hard for him over the years, and we've got nothing left to give. Um... And that, I think, is why results were so consistently bad over the first half of this season. And ultimately, Daniel Levy realised that there's no... Once that's happened, you can't fix it. You can't, you can't recreate the conditions that you had at the start of the Pochettino era that made him so successful. And that's why, unfortunately, the only, the only solution he had was to replace the manager. In, in, yeah, I mean, unless you think... Because th- there was this, broadly, this debate as to... I think everyone accepted that it was broken and then it's to either get rid of the manager or do you get rid of the players. But obviously to get rid of the players requires so much time and money. So it was a far more simple and sensible solution to get rid of Pochettino, despite the fact that for a lot of fans that seemed incredibly harsh. 
given all that he'd done for the club over the previous five and a half years. Mm. So we talk about uh, the idea that, as you said, connected to sources within the club who are saying that we're all tired and we've given our all to Pochettino. Read, I mean, reading those reports at the time as they, they were released, many of them on The Athletic, it kind of... There were two different ways of looking at it. One was that there was a little bit more of a toxic relationship there at the time. Players were maybe being uh, frustrated at the lack of results, as I suppose the manager would have been as well. And uh, the very prolonged period in which they had to work extra hard or whatever that is. Um, the other way of looking at it is that it's kind of a more amicable divorce in a way, as you put it, that it's a lot easier to replace the manager than it is to replace the squad. That... It, you know, it had been five, five and a half years and the players had nothing left to give. There was no other alternative. Where, where does the, the barometer fit between those, those two separate ideas? I don't think it was quite as toxic as, for example, Mourinho 2015-16 at Chelsea, which was very, very toxic. And um, there was, a, you know, this kind of constant battle going on, I think, between Mourinho and his squad. Um, we never really saw Pochettino turn on his players that much in public. I think that's telling. Um, lots of the players came out after Pochettino was sacked and s- stated how grateful they were to him. Uh, I had conversations with players in after the West Ham game, Mourinho's first game, where they said the same thing. So I think there. I don't think there's an animosity. I think it's more just yeah, maybe toxic is the wrong word. I think it's more just a sense of exhaustion and staleness was the issue. Um, Exhaustion by what though? By, by the relationship or by the the? I mean, are we are we to believe that training under Pochettino is physically much more demanding than it is under most other coaches? I think there is an element of that. Yeah, I, th- I think the word I would use is almost resignation. It was just like, uh, you know, we we want to keep working with this guy, but it's it's hard now. I think like you know, you look in any job, and if you're in the same place for too long, it can just feel a bit stale, and you need to change. You need to hear new voices. You know, being told the same thing by the same person can could just get a bit wearing over time. So psychological. Yeah, I think there was a lot of it. And I think I think Jack's right that there wasn't the kind of turning on the players like there was at Mourinho's Chelsea. I think the only time that really happened was after the Colchester game. Do you remember when he, there was a little bit of a suggestion that players you know, weren't doing quite what was expected of them. And, mm. I, and I think, you know, there is a fragility there and players don't really like being sort of questioned in that way. I think also another element that's important to talk about is the fact that a lot of them didn't feel they'd had the sort of contract, uh, uh, sorry, the sort of pay rises that they might have done uh, a few years earlier. So, you know, in 2017, they finished second with 86 points. And I think a lot of them thought they might, you know, start earning a bit more then. That didn't really happen. And so you've got that when you're, you know, working your ass off for someone and, you know, they are obviously well paid, uh, you know, grand scheme of things, but you're looking at, players other teams and maybe you're not getting paid so much I think all of those things combined um, and then the letdown of not reach it, of not winning the Champions League so I think they all combined in this this sort of big letdown at the start of this season mm. and then results didn't go their way and it's just like you know we're sort of done with this now I think that's a really important point about salaries and contracts like the whole Pochettino method is very dependent on players who are very who are desperate to prove themselves and are hungry and ambitious and are happy to kind of go the extra mile, even though they are not getting rewarded for it in the meantime. And so it fitted perfectly into this into the Tottenham wage structure, um, in which most of the players are underpaid by market standards. And yet Pochettino put together a squad of players who would try extra hard for him because they believed that he was the man to take them to the next level. Now, the problem is that that can only last for so long. Like, you've only got a few... If you're going to operate in that way, you've only got quite a small window of two or three years in which players will do all that work. And then eventually they'll just get a bit miserable because they haven't got they, they haven't got their money. And Pochettino knew this and he wanted to sell players so he could refresh the squad. But because he didn't do this, it actually had the effect of making the atmosphere even worse in the sense that lots of these guys knew that Pochettino wanted to, wanted to sell them. They wanted mm. to go. They hadn't been sold. And then they had to come back for the start of this season or the start of the previous season, knowing that Pochettino didn't even want them there anymore. And so basically the amazing balancing act that mm. was finishing that high with that little wage sp- spend inevitably collapsed as it always was going to. Who are we talking about? Players that either knew that they wanted, that knew that Pochettino maybe wanted to sell them, or players that, that wanted to leave. Are there specific names? Well, at various points, Ericsson, Alderweireld, Wanyama, 
Sissoko. Aurier. Aurier. Danny Rose. Rose, yeah. They've tried to sell, like okay. Rose nearly went in the summer of 2017. Then Spurs tried to sell him in 2018 and couldn't and tried to sell him in 2019 and couldn't. Like, and, and they can't because there are no takers or they, they can't agree terms or... Uh, yeah, a combination of, I mean, he nearly went to Chelsea for 55 million at the end of the 27th, summer 2017 window. And since then, it's been difficult to find a team who would, you know, offer, offer a good pay rise and could do a deal with Daniel Levy. I mean, Levy is an amazing negotiator when he's got a player that another team wants. Like, that's how you get 100 million euros for Bale or 55 million pounds for Kyle Walker. But what's much harder is being in a situation where you've got a bunch of players who you don't especially want and then you're ringing around other clubs mm. saying, can I sell you Aurier, Wanyama, Sissoko or whoever else? Like, it's in that sense... The but kind I won't of, let them go yeah, for like, any less yeah. than what you don't want to pay. Yeah, like, the power dynamic is switched and it's hard mm. to sell the players. And that, yeah, I mean, Ericsson's another one like that. Apparently he was quoting huge money this summer for a player that has a year left on his contract and everyone's just like, well, we're not going to do that. You just wait. Yeah, well, we're just going to wait. And, and he's done, I think he's priced out a lot of players from right, the market. Yeah. And like, yes, his great skill is, as Jack says, you know, he, he will... When a player's in demand, he will get the absolute maximum and he will never be taken advantage of. But there is a problem sometimes because he just makes it very difficult to sell players. And, right. and, and Pochettino knew as well as anyone that that squad needed a shake-up, but he wasn't really allowed to do it. You know, to do that shake-up, you need to get rid of players first. Yeah. And that just want, didn't happen. Yeah. If you want to look at a, like a concrete example of how this could work, mm -hmm. look at Atletico Madrid. So Atletico Madrid, are not their football is not exactly the same as Pochettino's football, but... They have a similarly like intense, demanding Argentinian manager. And obviously Simeone's been in that job since 2011. So he's been there for yeah. eight years and he's managed to avoid this kind of classic four or five year problem. And the reason is they've had an incredible turnover of players. Like the team now is very different from like the team that lost the Champions League final in 2014. And because they've always been, managed, always been able to get rid of the older guys, get new players in who are hungry enough to be, to give you that kind of like intense freshness that that kind of management demands that means they have managed to avoid that kind of trap now i think that looking back that's the only way that the pochettino era might have lasted for longer than it did would have been with a serious turnover of players back in 2017 2018 to to mean that nowadays they would still have that same sort of freshness which obviously they don't have mm. do you think in a way it was it was difficult for spurs because the squad that they had and the context of the seasons in which they were playing meant that they were never, I mean, retrospectively, they, they always seemed quite far from challenging for the title. But at the time, they were always there or thereabouts. They were never too far away from it. Do you think that there was a, a, a worry that maybe Daniel Levy had, or maybe not so much Pochettino, but other figures at the club, a worry that if they did engage in a kind of high-profile turnover of players that they might drop off the pace a little bit when they were so close to achieving something? Oh, what, you mean it wasn't time to go into a period of transition? Yeah, almost. or just that one more year with this group yeah. of players might be the one that gets you over the line? Yeah, potentially. The, the hard thing with that is that if you... It's very difficult to to kind of make that turnover of players to do that quickly. It does need to be a kind of gradual process. So mm. I think now in retrospect, you know, ideally, yes, maybe not shed, you know, four or five important players in one summer, but maybe you let one or two go and then, you know, you build it gradually. Uh, might have been a more effective way of doing it whilst at the same time bringing people in. Whereas, I mean, they had that crazy 18-month period where they didn't sign a single player. I mean, that is yeah. utterly mad for, like, you know, a team with, with their ambitions. Mm. And I suppose because of the character and the persona of Daniel Levy and the way that he's talked about by supporters and, and you know, the football media, for example, that was, whilst it was a, a bizarre occurrence, it was also by some considered to be um, a mark of how good Daniel Levy was at his job that they maybe didn't need to buy players for 18 months or that he was willing to hold on out for, for, for the right deals do you think Tottenham are kind of trapped by his character or his perception in that way a little bit as well maybe I certainly think that the way that he operates in comparison to his rivals who are much more willing to spend spend money freely means that he needs a very very good manager and he got lucky with Pochettino mm. because he got a manager who was perfect for the way that he wants to run the club and even though things obviously went sour this year he like the Pochettino era has still been an absolute triumph for Tottenham by any measure um not least because it's now gotten to a point where they can appoint Jose Mourinho but yeah I, I certainly agree that he the way that Levy operates has made it did make it harder for Pochettino certainly um 
to sustain that success be into a sort of fourth, fifth, sixth season. Mm. I mean, because the stadium build was going on at the same time as well. So you've got all that to consider. So you're thinking, you know, long term, that's brilliant for the health of the club. But it's frustrating for Pochettino at a time where, you know, they were so close and having finished the 86 points in that 2017 season and finished second to then not be that I don't think they lost in that final season at White Hart Lane no. so then all of a sudden you're taken away from this fortress that you've built up and you're playing at Wembley which is you know, a pretty soulless venue especially for, for club games so that's another thing you had to deal with mm. um, but I think as well just to, you know look back on the, the, the player element I think I read today uh, in our piece on The Athletic that um, Ericsson's on 80 grand a week yeah. I mean, I, I, not to sound all Ashley Cole, but I almost swerved my car off the road, figuratively speaking. I, I couldn't quite believe that, you know, for, for someone of his ability. And you th- think it's no surprise then that he's he wants a big payday before he... Sure. I mean, obviously these are astronomical amounts of money oh, but in it's the real relative, world, but relative, yeah. that's If you're, if you're going to earn double, you would, you would have thought minimum double at your next job. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd leave TIFO yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really, don't worry. Um, can, okay, let, I, I suppose we've lingered on Pochettino long enough. I'm, I'm sort of aware that maybe people won't want to be too retrospective. But can we, can we discuss the, the, the week, or I guess, the, what was it really? It was a 24-hour turnaround from the announcement that he had gone to the announcement that Jose Mourinho had arrived. How, do, do we know how long in advance those those talks with Mourinho were, were taking place? Presumably he'd made his interest um, aware to the club. Yeah, they must have had... Yeah, clearly they had Mourinho in the bag by the time they sacked Pochettino, or they wouldn't have sacked Pochettino when they did. I think there'd been crisis talks between Levy and Pochettino dating back to the start of the previous week, that is just after the Sheffield United game. Right. Um, at which... The, like the future of Spurs was clearly like up for grabs in these talks, and his future was on the table. And it was still it was still a bit of a surprise when when they actually sacked him, or when he was relieved of his duties, as the statement put it. Uh, but they would only have done that once they had Mourinho ready ready to roll out the next morning. Right. Yeah. And in terms of Mourinho as an appointment, it it's Mourinho, so it's always you know it's always going to generate a lot of interest and a lot of, of news. But it, it did seem to me and, and, and many people to be quite surprising given the, the stark differences that we associate with the way that both of those managers uh, like their teams to play football. Did it seem like that to you? Yeah, that and also just the type of manager that they are. You know, Pochettino was this project manager who built Tottenham up over, in relative terms, you know, modern football, a, a longer period of time. Whereas Mourinho, we know, is a kind of... You know, he'll come in shock therapy for two or three years. Three years is probably like the maximum you're really going to get for him. So even that element as well. Um, Which is something I was going to ask you, because given what we've just discussed about the team and the player turnover that is maybe required and the tired legs and all the rest of it, you would have thought that they would have been on the lookout for another project manager because Tottenham clearly need a rebuild this seems to, to me to be the wrong time to, to appoint Jose Mourinho. What do I know? They've won every game so far. But w- w- what do you think? Yeah, maybe. Although I also think they Pochettino left this really good squad of players. Um, and I don't think it needed much. You know, they, they are really... They're such a talented group. They know each other already well. It did almost just need a change and someone to come in and remind them that they are right. very good. So it just needed those things when Pochettino was the coach, maybe. And if you remove that element, it's not so necessary anymore. Potentially. I mean, and I think Mourinho is, it's a bit of a cliche, but he, you know, he has won, so, he's a winner. He's won so much stuff. And that is the one thing that Pochettino didn't do. Uh, admitted it's a big thing, but, you know, and it's the one thing those players, none of them really have, much silverware to their name so I think just having someone who can come in and give them that belief that they can get over the line could potentially it, it could be quite a good combination Do we know much about the reception of Mourinho from the players? I mean I read that the, some of the players weren't aware that uh, Pochettino was going to be uh, relieved of his duties when he was until after they'd seen the announcement do we know whether some of the players had been asked about Mourinho beforehand Harry Kane for example? Yeah so there's a re- a report which we didn't write saying that Kane Kane had been consulted in right. advance. Um, I do think the players have been very have been very receptive to Mourinho coming in for the reasons that Charlie just said. Like these are guys who've worked very hard for a long time for Pochettino and in, in trophies terms have nothing to show for it. 
but now they've got a manager in who can promise them, you know, who can who can show them that he's won an awful lot everywhere else he's been, with the exception of Manchester United. And even uh, there, he won two trophies. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the players will believe in him. I think they they've been impressed so far with his energy and his kind of tactical tweaks and his the atmosphere that he you know he has changed the atmosphere simply by being himself around the around the training ground. And I do think the players are going to buy into it. Mm. I wonder as well I mean I, I, I agree that's everything I've heard as well is that they have been very uh, responsive and the atmosphere has been very good as well and I wonder if they you know he, he's a bit of a caricature in the media isn't he I, I wonder actually within football circles whether there's a slightly different perception of him to the one that we have as this kind of pantomime villain I suspect you know, amongst elite level footballers, it's it's a slightly more nuanced view of him. What are they looking for? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. that's an interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? I mean, how engaged are they with the news cycle, for example? How much of that pantomime aspect of it do they actually see? Yeah, I, I just expect they'll have spoke, you know, they'll have all have friends who've worked with him at Chelsea yeah. or United, and they'll also, they'll hear all the other, the good elements of him as well that, you know, perhaps aren't as on the surface because he is this kind of agent provocateur that's what we see but mm. you know well also it's, it's a sort of, that. yeah and it's a kind of ultra competitive sporting environment right mm. i mean they're mm. all just desperate to win presumably so i would imagine that they see Mourinho, like you say as a yeah as a winner who might help them win yeah exactly this is never would you like to protect your online privacy I know I would, uh, because in the internet age, it's easy to feel like you have all the freedom in the world, but you don't. The truth is that we've never been more monitored by governments, ISPs, and ad companies. In fact, all UK internet service providers like BT or Sky have to keep records of your online activity for 12 months. This includes all the websites you visit, apps you use, and your private conversations. It doesn't matter if you're suspected of a crime or not, the government can look into you without a warrant. And that's why you can protect your online privacy with ExpressVPN. Whether you're at home or on public Wi-Fi, ISPs are recording your internet activity. If you don't want them on the police snooping on your data, you have to use a VPN. And it's not just for people in the UK. In the US, ISPs can even sell your data to advertising companies. ExpressVPN is very easy to use. Just download the app onto your computer or your phone and click connect and voila, you are protected. You use the internet just like you normally would, but with ExpressVPN, your data is encrypted and your IP address is masked. So, protect your online activity today like we did and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash TIFO. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com forward slash TIFO for three months free with a one-year package. You mentioned Mourinho being himself uh, around around the ground. I wanted to pick up on something. We talked about it briefly beforehand. I, I, I listened to, um, to, to your podcast for The Athletic about Tottenham earlier on where you talk about this as well. So maybe we can just touch on the idea that Mourinho is uh, um, talking about himself as being quite... Is, is it the word? Is the word he's using humble? Is that the a word? Lot, yeah. A lot, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is at odds with what we know about Jose Mourinho. Do you think this is a, a is a, a sort of genuine thing, or is this? Um, you know, he keeps saying it's not. It's not about me. It's not about me. Clearly, it is. Maybe not the. You know, the question here is whether or not he desires that, or whether he's um, deliberately attempting to 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 uh, come out with that result, but. What's the what's the whole humble thing? What's happening with the humble thing? And the thing you've got to remember with Mourinho is that everything he does is performance, particularly in public. It's all performance, and it's all to do with projecting a certain sort of image. And I think he knows he's sufficiently stung by what's happened because it's been a pretty bad decade for him. You know, even though he's won a fair bit in his last, you know, he won the, even though he won the Spanish title with Real Madrid and the English league back with when he returned to Chelsea, I d- he hasn't really been on. I don't think. He hasn't really unequivocally succeeded in a job since he left Inter nine years ago. Yeah. Almost 10 years ago. He's riding on all yeah, successes I think a little he needs, bit. I think he knows that he needs a slightly different image, a slightly different approach. He can't be as confrontational as he used to be with players. Like we, 
the classic Mourinho technique is something that he calls confrontational leadership. And that basically means hammering the players in public and private, trying to spark a reaction out of them. And I think he knows that it hasn't worked. Like, it hasn't worked and he needs a different approach. And that's why I think his approach now at Tottenham will be very much like trying to massage the egos of the players, tell them they're great, tell them he can help them to win if they come with him. Not dissimilar to his approach when he first arrived at Chelsea in 2004. Right. Like this morning I was reading Didier Drogba and Frank Lampard's autobiographies for a piece I'm working on about this. And it's all about, it's all about Mourinho telling the players that, the, that they were brilliant. And that seems to be the same approach he's had since showing up at Tottenham right. recently. Cool and dad. Yeah, <laughs> and I do. I do think with that as well. Like the Chelsea were this kind of like upstart, weren't they at that time? And Tottenham are a lot more popular, broadly speaking, with with neutrals. But there's a similarity there in that you know they haven't won anything and they're a little bit on the outside. They're underdogs. Yeah, they're underdogs, right? They're they're not that elite. Whereas I think you know it's, it's hard to United. That's not what they're about. You know, they're the best and they shouldn't be sort of yielding to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think so far it's it's one of these things. We, we all know he's playing up to it and this whole I'm humble, um, which as Jack said yesterday, once you, you can't kind of describe yourself in those terms, mm-hmm. it kind of negates it. I guess you could say that you've been humbled. Yeah, yeah. That might be a more uh, yeah, sort of reasonable, reasonable position to take. Possibly, but I'm not sure, you know, at the press conference today before the United game, you know, a lot of the questions are about how do you look back on that? And he didn't really want to be drawn too much onto it. But, you know, I don't think he, you know, I think he's proud of what he achieved at United as well. I don't think he views it as a failure, particularly. It's Not hard to look anyway. back on. I mean, as you say, maybe a little bit more time and, and, and distance. You can look back on his second uh, his second stint at Chelsea in a slightly different way than you could when he first joined United because it was so recent. I mean, it was so toxic at the end of his mm. his reign at, at Manchester United that it is it is very difficult to look back at it and understand, or at least immediately see why he would be proud. Of course, there were achievements there at the time. I mean, they won the the Europa League, for example. But generally speaking, I mean, it, it, given what was the expectations were, and given what presumably Mourinho's own expectations of himself would be, it was a failure, right? That's true, and I I've always. You know, I've not been a big fan of Mourinho's work in the last few years. However, there is a counterpoint to that, which says um, the further away we get from Mourinho being sat by United, the more right he looks in retrospect, in the sense <laughs> that, like, the players are rubbish. Yeah. The players are rubbish. That's the case with every United yeah, coach. Yeah, the players are rubbish. Mm-hmm. There's bad attitudes in the squad. Edward Woods is not doing a good job of providing the club with direction. Manchester City are very hard to compete with, yeah. as Mourinho said. And so all these things, which at the time sounded like excuses from Mourinho, in fact, have been like none of them have really been disproven under Solskjaer, barring that kind of one month at the start mm. when they were really, really good. That's Because when that was happening, I was thinking, wow, Mourinho really was the problem here. These guys are great. Pogba, Martial Rashford, these guys are great players. Jose was inhibiting them and now they're going to be good again. Since, like, since February, since Solskjaer got the job permanently, United have been terrible. Mm-hmm. And Mourinho looks like increasingly right with every bad Manchester United result that happens. So yeah. ba- it's, not as, it's not as simple as people like me thought it was at the time, basically. I, sure. I, I wonder as well with that, I mean, if you think... He's taking over Tottenham now, who are probably not in a, a massively dissimilar position from the United team who took over, you know, where they are. They're, you know, they're one of the big six clubs that they're in that kind of upper echelon. And if over the next two seasons at Spurs, he won the League Cup, won the Europa League and finished second in the league, they take that, wouldn't they? Definitely, I mean, yeah. That, that would be two a pretty trophies, amazing... Yeah, that would be great. Two trophies and a second place finish would be a pretty amazing mm. uh, couple of years. And because it was that was at Manchester United, who we look at as Manchester United, they should be winning the league, they should win the Champions League. You know, it... Um, That's true. So it's an interesting idea, actually, that the perceptions might, might count in yeah. his favour there. And also, you know, the difference being that, as you say, we look back on the Pochettino era... With, with awe in, in, in some sense and, and celebrate it for, for what a fantastic achievement it was but they didn't really win anything so I mean there's the, as you said the, the perceptions really are quite different there I do think that like while I don't really back Mourinho to I don't think Mourinho was, is going to do what Pochettino did I don't think he'll still be there in five and a half years time and produce like a series of consistently high Premier League finishes I do think that he 
gives them the best possible chance of winning a trophy in a kind, as in not this season, but probably next season. Like Mourinho's teams always peak after about 18 months. So that means by the end of next season, I think they will be really, really good. And I, I do back them to win something next year. Mm. Uh, and also I think he will succeed in the sense that of keeping Tottenham very much as a sort of high profile, mm. as a high profile team who are occupying the attention of world football which has really been a big part of what Daniel Levy's been trying to do. You can see it with the new stadium, the Amazon documentary. Uh, if if Daniel Levy were to want to sell Tottenham, or sorry, if Enoch were to want to sell Tottenham or a stake in Tottenham, then obviously having Jose Mourinho, the, the best known manager of all time, as your manager is incredibly helpful in helping you to do that. Mm. If you want to get, whether it's Americans or Chinese or Middle Eastern investors into the club. So I think he makes, he makes perfect sense in that logic. And even though, even just thinking about the last few days, you think, what would it be like if Eddie Howe had taken over? Like Eddie Howe's mm. a great coach who's done really well at Bournemouth and everything. But the whole conversation and feel around Tottenham would be totally different from the one it is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it, definitely. They are the biggest show in town, it feels like, at yeah. the moment. Uh, the club everyone's talking about. I think as well with Mourinho, one thing, it's interesting there, Jack, you, you talk about, uh, you know, how he connected with those players when he was at Chelsea. And it, it it's interesting now to think that this is a whole like new generation of players and he does need to slightly prove that he can connect with a different generation who are motivated in very different ways. I mean, we've seen this so often that managers kind of hark back to a day where players were tougher and, you know, right. all of this sort of thing. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's better. I don't think there is an objective better. It's just different and you have to adapt. And so I think it's a really big challenge. One that at the moment looks like it's going well, but we're only a few games in. Mm. They can really connect with the, this group of players who were born, you know, who, you know, it's just completely... In the you know, 90s. In the 90s. You yeah. know, they're not children of the 80s. You're saying down with the can people down with he the kids. He needs to be down with the kids, right. with the Snapchat. What are the kids doing? I really, I really don't TikTok. know. TikTok. TikTok. Is that thing? TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, but no, that, that's a great point. Mourinho has like a long-standing uh, problem with like millennials or even like Gen Z players, <laughs> as in players younger than millennials. And the mm. only one, the only player I can think of who Mourinho's got anything out of who was born after 1985 is like Scott McTominay. Right. Hmm. McTominay aside, like he's not really Jesse Lingard a little bit early. Not really, on. Mm, it's only a little bit, and mm. if you look at like the clash that he had with Pogba, I was going to say Pogba Pogba's is a great that. example because, because Pogba's like the the iconic millennial player, yeah. really. And Jose didn't really get through to him at all, not for want of trying, but he never really got anything out of Pogba uh, in in their time together at Manchester United. And while this Tottenham squad, I look at the Tottenham squad, I think it does have quite a lot of players who are. Um, they have the kind of like old-fashioned character and ethos of the kind of classic Mourinho players, whether it's, you know, Drogba, Schneider, Zanetti, Cambiasso, those kind of guys. So I'm thinking like Kane, Alderweireld, probably Vertonghen, mm. Lucas, Son. Those guys I think will be really, really good. That's why Deli Ali is so fascinating because Deli Ali is not really, he's not really a good player of that ilk. He is a more... Uh, I don't know. Is Deli Ali millennial or Gen Z? He's probably Gen Z because I think he's when born does Gen Z start? Gen Z is like the, isn't he? Gen Z is like people born in the m sort of late nineties, two thousands. Deli should, Ali was born in what, nineteen ninety four. Should we be saying Gen Z? I don't know. Well, I kind of read this off Americans on Twitter. That's yeah. why I say Gen Z. Okay, so maybe he Gen is, Z sounds better. I he's think. A, he's. A, I'm going to say Gen Z. Gen, Gen <laughs> get, Z. You should get the listeners to tweet in. Is Deli really? Ali millennial or Gen Z? Yeah. Okay. And that will be that will be conclusive answers. Although I'm sure there'll be yeah. numerous for both. That's an interesting idea. I'd not really thought about him connecting with younger players before because I suppose if you think about him at Porto, really not that old at all. He's more of a kind of older brother figure to many of the senior players. By the time he arrives at Manchester United. He's a dad, a jaded dad. Yeah, well, also then he was like anti-establishment, wasn't he? Right. You know, he yeah. was this kind of outsider, this kind of challenger brand. And then yeah. that, that goes on. So then it becomes that then he is like Mr. Establishment. Right. It feels like. Yeah. But I think, he, I think he's much better as a kind of underdog mm, than as an establishment figure. Like I've just finished reading um, uh, Diego Torres' book about Mourinho's time at Real Madrid, the special one which is amazing. It's the best football book I've ever read. Really? I will a million percent recommend Crikey. reading it. Christmas presents. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the story of that is about how Mourinho's management style is all based on like challenging the system and being kind of uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Cheeky, like uh, mischievous. Mm. And Real Madrid is a very like, is an incredibly mm. establishment club. And he just doesn't really fit in there yeah. with the ethos of... He's too punk. Yeah, he's too punk. But he, he took an OBE. He, he, he doesn't fit in with the ethos of Florentino Perez and the Cassias and all these guys who want a much more like right. traditional, corporate, corporate respectful, mm. gentlemanly approach. He's looking for siege mentality yeah. as, a, mean, as a form of solidarity. You look at him, he'd be better fit at Atletico. Mm. Right. In a way, that, yeah, sort of. totally. Well, he but makes sense think, at Spurs then, doesn't he? Yeah, that's, what, that's one of the reasons why... That's one of the reasons why I'm kind of bullish about how well he'll do at Spurs is even though on the surface it looks weird seeing a team you know seeing Spurs who as we know haven't won anything for a while managed by Mourinho who used to be one of the best managers in the world and clearly like they've both had to make a big step towards each other for this to happen like Jose's had to take a job with a team which isn't an elite team which Mm -hmm. he's never done before or not since not for like 18 years and Spurs have kind of taken a manager who exists in a kind of plane above them but because he's taking such a step down suddenly I think he can kind of I just have this confidence that he can rediscover a bit of that Porto Chelsea 2004 right. underdog spirit and remind, if he can do that me, Inter Milan my Italian uh, football history is not good what what was the expectations for Inter Milan when he, when he took the job there no. were they similarly underdogs well, certainly they, they would have in the Champions they League they hadn't won a Champions League since the mid 60s I think right. yeah. okay. uh, so in that respect mm-hmm. they certainly weren't a uh, they were one of the European superpowers, yeah, um, okay. and and he was able to, you know, to do that. Yeah, but then, right. and that was Massimo Moratti's like massive obsession was winning their first Champions League since the glory days, and right. he didn't think like they tried and tried and tried and spent so much money over the years they'd never been able to do it. And then Mourinho showed up in what two thousand eight, and then in the second season, he won the treble with that amazing team, which I think is still like the greatest Mourinho team, mm, just right. in terms of being a total execution of his principles. Remind me of some of the names. Matarazzi. Schneider, Eto, um, Diego Melito up front, Goran Pandev, Thiago Mota, Cambiasso, Samuel, Samuel, uh, Kivu, Zanetti. Right. Um, but like, to me, Matarazzi is the one Julius that sticks Cesar. out as like just an asshole, but like a really, you know, <laughs> but so effective at what he yeah. did. You know, they had this amazing defense. Who's yeah. Mourinho's asshole at Spurs? Well, I mean, we, we thought you know, like Eric Dyer's been reintroduced into the team. He's not, he's not like a huge asshole, though, is he? No, he's got a bit of an edge to it. I mean, Deli Alley, I, I mm. like him. I think he's right. best when he is a bit naughty. He's and cheeky. Cheeky, yeah. you know, and he's, you know, he's kind of, he's got that in his locker. Like I, someone like Lamella, I mean, he is like yeah. he he is someone who once he gets back, right. he's, he's not fit at the moment. You know, I think Mourinho would love him because he's he's good. He's very good at tackling players. He's also he's got a bit of devil in him as well. It's on huge wages, isn't he, Lamella? I heard that he was one of the yeah. He's one of the best of... play. He's one of the best paid players at the club. Yeah, um, he got a big new deal on surprises me. 100, 100 plus grand a week. Well, he the thing is, they bought him for a lot of money. They bought him for like 30, 30 million back in twenty thirteen. Was he uh, was he one of the people who came? Bale. Yeah, and yeah. they've had opportunities. Like he, there've been the times in the past where he near, he's nearly gone to Juve, Porto, Inter, Milan, Marseille, and it's never quite happened. But because he came on a lot of money, Spurs have been determined to keep his value high by giving him new contracts. And his right. last new contract was quite a big one. I mean, oh. I've always been a big Lamella fan. But okay. the, the Deli Ali thing is a really interesting example because he's. Um, I remember once when Mourinho was still at Chelsea, second time around he was talking to us in a press conference about how he sees like the ideal number 10. And he was talking about how he was talking about Oscar, who at that time had a kind of a role quite similar to Deli Ali's role now. So he would like arrive late in the box, score quite a lot of goals. And Mourinho was saying, I think the words he described were like, I want a number 10 to be a nine and a half when we have the ball, as in that is someone in the box scoring goals. And then an eight and a half when we don't have the ball. Right. And that's basically how Deli Ali was playing. He compared it to Schneider at Inter and Deco at Porto. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see if if Deli Ali continues this great run he's on at the moment, whether he can become that kind of Schneider-y type player. Well, we've talked about Deli Ali on, on the YouTube channel before as a bit of a round doiter in the sense that he isn't you know necessarily that's such a tifo word mm, yeah, yeah. thank you um but he, he he in the in the sense that he you know he's i suppose the only thing is he's quite tall that's the only thing which really marks him out uh, beyond that but that he's not 
you know, he's not overly skillful, for example. I mean, he, you know, he knows how to kick a football, sure, but he's not, um, I'm trying to, he's not Ronaldinho, for example. Uh, he's not super fast. He does score a lot of goals, but then many of them tend to be either, you know, nice tap-ins or kind of uh, bog standard, right place, right time. And it's not totally obvious immediately to see why he's such a good player, but everyone knows that yeah, he that's is. That's why he has that kind of like the two players who I think he reminds me of and not actually those sort of number 10s I listed a minute ago but um, Antoine Griezmann and Thomas Muller right. as in players who's great sense whose yeah. number one skill is that like sense of anticipation in the box yeah. knowing where the ball's going to break having that that's kind of yeah that just the literal space instinct. investigator yeah, yeah I think of someone like Freddie Jumberg as well yeah. used to be right. and, and the kind of player who when not scoring you're kind of thinking what what's this guy doing you know right. he's not as conspicuous as some of those others I mean Ali he does have skills to it he, you know lots of nice flicks and that sort of thing but yeah similar to those kind of players he you know he, he you can lose him a little bit mm. um, and so I think that was slightly the problem in the latter Pochettino days because he wasn't playing so advanced and so he wasn't really contributing as many goals and assists as we become accustomed to is, is that that's a systematic the reason he wasn't playing so advanced is because of the the type of system that Pochettino was seeking to play yeah partly that and also I think they were a slight victim of their own success because Son had done so well centrally uh, last season and in particular in the Champions League run in Kane's absence they were then it then felt harsh almost to just like shunt him back to the wing but that crowded alley out um, mm. and yes they did change their system and it, it just didn't quite work uh, as effectively this is never you know when you're watching the football and you see a player that you haven't heard of before you think maybe isn't that popular and they play incredibly well and you're sure this guy he's the next big thing well how could you make a bit of cash out of your prediction football index is the stock market for buying shares in footballers Buy shares and players you think will perform, and if you know your football, their value will rise and you can sell. They even win big payouts when they score an assist and when they perform in the media. So go to footballindex.co.uk or download the app and use the code TIFO on sign up to get a £500 money back guarantee. You know, you might be thinking that uh, Toby Alderweireld played very well under Jose Mourinho against Bournemouth. And you might think, hey, that guy's stock, it's probably gone down over the last year, but maybe it's going to go back up. He might be someone to take a punt on, hey? It's those sorts of decisions you're going to want to make. And uh, I feel like if you listen to TIFO podcasts and watch TIFO videos, maybe you're in a better position to make them than other people. Or maybe not, but you know, you'll find out when you visit Football Index. Start trading today in something you love. That's footballindex.co.uk. Using the code TIFO on sign-up, terms and conditions do apply, 18 plus, and please gamble responsibly. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, let's talk about, um, you know, broadly speaking, the three games that we have so far. It's important to mention that we were recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, it will be released Wednesday morning, the day of the Manchester United game. So we're going to avoid pre previews, and obviously there's, I suppose you could say, a bigger challenge to come. Spurs have played West Ham, Olympiacos, and Bournemouth so far. Um, and we've seen a few different approaches already um, some and certainly departures from Pochettino the first thing that I think a lot of people were talking about is the sort of the staggered fullbacks Serge Aurier being pushed significantly higher up on, on the right and in fact even in the most recent game against West Ham Jan Vertonghen appearing to play and I suppose it ended up being a bit of a back three really didn't it um, the other was um, bringing back in um, Eric Dyer into the midfield double pivot and having two players there and also Deli Alley in the kind of 10 role uh, have I missed anything and which of those has been the most important or the most interesting to either of you to, 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 to examine well for me I think broadly what, what tends to happen when you've been somewhere a long time as Pochettino was you you feel if you're not changing personnel you feel like you do have to tweak the system a little bit so I feel he moved away from maybe what had been most successful because he felt he had to shake things up and you know maybe other players like Son or someone played their way into form what I think Mourinho essentially has done has been able to revert to when they were at their most successful and that's been really effective in just giving them a kind of jolt that they needed um, yes the, the, I mean the Aurier sort of advanced fullback is probably the biggest difference and the most interesting thing uh, tactically but really it's saying right Ali you are most effective as a number 10 playing off Kane so let's put you back there Son we actually think you're most effective 
out wide on the left, cutting in. Uh, and we're going to play with those two hold midfielders shielding, shielding the back four. Uh, it's kind of a back to basics approach. And, and those players, because they've done it for so many years, look very comfortable doing it. It just feels like they've sort of slotted, you know, that move back, move back home almost mm. uh, is, is my reading of it. What do you think, Jack? Um, yeah, I think it's been, it's been really interesting to see. I think I wouldn't have expected him to like Aurier as much as he did because mm. Aurier is obviously a player who makes a lot of mistakes and the one thing Mourinho is all about is stopping stopping mistakes and yet he's realised that there's not you know there have been times recently where there's not really much pace or width in the team and the only way he can get that is by pushing by making the most of Aurier's very obvious talents in that role and it's been quite clever because it's not just like a conventional 4-2-3-1 by doing this kind of strange three lopsided 3-2-5 thing when they have the ball he's managed to make sure they have width on both sides, pace, attacking men in the box, a solid base in front of the back three. It's been, I mean, I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he was working away on it long before Pochino actually got the bullet, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of fun to watch and also it gives them a kind of, um, it gives them a sort of fresh way of approaching games. The other thing they've got is, is being direct. Mm. Like Pochettino is very much about building out from the back. Everything goes from Loris to Vertonghen into the midfield, through the thirds, up through the pitch. Whereas Mourinho is very happy for Gazaniga, Alderweire, or Vertonghen, Sanchez, whoever, just to hit it long. And they've, they've had great success in this. Like Toby, two, two weekend, long right? balls from Toby on the weekend against Bournemouth mm. led to goals. That were so good. I mean, we were describing them here as, as long passes. Long because passes. the idea of long ball, you know, it's, it's I know, a very yeah, Samaladice related thing, you know, lobbing up there and hoping that someone. I mean, both of those, but I must say that for the first goal, Son did an incredible job to, uh, to cushion there. Yeah. Same with Deli Alli for the second one, but both balls, you also have to criticise Bournemouth a little bit. I mean, they were right central down the middle. They the totally shouldn't be that hard to defend. That was something they had identified as a weakness right. and tried to exploit. Okay. Um, but so, yes, yeah. absolutely. They, they were amazing passes. Mm. I mean, three games deep, I suppose aspects of play like that like the kind of long ball long pass thing it's going to be difficult for us to say at this moment whether they are things that we will see more regularly or whether they are as you say things that are um, identified as weaknesses uh, against opposition that are coming up the one thing I suppose that we should touch on is that um, Olympiacos West Ham uh, Bournemouth no disrespect none of them you, you would expect Spurs to win those games let's say you would also expect Spurs to beat Manchester United but you're also about to play Bayern Munich in, in a few weeks time do you think that the perception it is possible that the perception around Mourinho at Tottenham will dampen slightly when we presume he will take a more defensive approach to bigger games as we've seen him do throughout his career will that Take the sheen off it a little bit. I mean, results dependent. Obviously, yeah, I right? mean that's it. we were talking about this yesterday, and my piece from the weekend was was on this that it you know in all respects. So Mourinho being this like humble, nice bloke in the world, and him playing in a slightly more offensive way, that's all going to be really tested as early as tomorrow night or tonight as you watch this. Um, at Old Trafford because both the humility thing will come under pressure uh, because he's got a point to prove and also he has tended to play more defensively in the big games you know he's not this super defensive coach all the time but generally in the biggest matches he has erred on the side of caution mm. um, so I think we will see that tomorrow but yeah look if, if they go and win 1-0 and are super cautious great I don't think anyone's going to mind that it's if they go and it's really flat and you know they kind of invite pressure against the team who are there for the taking then that's when you may see some frustration presumably as well the story of this evening uh, will be Mourinho's return to, to Manchester United right rather than necessarily how Spurs are going to play whether they're going to be more defensive or, you know any of those uh, you know derisory uh, parking the bus comments will presumably feature much lower down the comment sections beneath the highlights of these of these videos do you think that will take the pressure off the players a little bit yeah, I think it. I think it helps the Spurs players for this to be all about Mourinho. Um, Mourinho, that is another thing he's very good at is making things about him to take the attention away from his players. That's a, again, that's a big feature of the the Drogba and Lampard books about the the kind of peak Chelsea years, two thousand four to two thousand seven, um, and it certainly will help the Spurs players going into the next game. Like, there's barely been any. The Spurs players got a bit of a hammering in public over the the dying days of Pochettino because there was so much sympathy and credit stored up for Pochettino. Mm. 
But I do think the Spurs players had a pretty easy ride of it in the media in the last few weeks because all the attention has been on the manager instead. And I think that will probably continue. It's amazing, isn't it, how when things are going well, Mourinho's ability to make it all about himself is seen, and I think fairly so, seen uh, not only as a positive, um, a distraction from the players, uh, an ability to take pressure off the players, but also a kind of pious sacrifice of himself. When things aren't going so well, suddenly it's seen as uh, an arrogance and a deflection. And as you say before, you know, watching towards the end of the Man United period, a lot of excuses and a lot of toxicity and stuff like that for essentially what what is the same technique, right? It's just an interesting. And, thing. and that, I think that's a really interesting theme. It's one I looked at earlier this season, but the way that you reframe a manager's methods uh, according to their results. And so, like Pochettino. When things were going well, it was this like meticulous attention to detail, obsessive, but in an amazing way. You know that's how he gets his results. And then, uh, and he'd always video training sessions. And then it became this sort of like he's videoing training sessions as this weird like Big Brother overlord. You know, and it's like <laughs> he's got the evidence when he loses his job that it wasn't his fault. Yeah, but it is just like we do that all the time. We reframe. Right. Uh, but yes, yeah, so at the moment it seems like Mourinho. Uh, you know, those methods are, are working and are, and are good and are right. But yeah, it won't take long for us to be back on the, oh no, it's this doesn't work. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to ask you about uh, January, but before we do that, would you care to tell our listeners about your new podcast? So we have a podcast called The View from the Lane, which is recorded every Monday and released first thing every Tuesday morning, uh, featuring me, Charlie and another person so in this case it was James Moore who's a member of our the athletic team and also a Tottenham fan uh, we just talk about Spurs most recent games our recent reporting on Spurs press conferences what Mourinho's like the stories around the club that sort of thing hmm. um, it's not very long it's only about 35 minutes so you can listen to it on your way to work or where, where and whenever you listen to your podcasts right. And, and it's, it's free. Really it's available, free. It's right? free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't even mentioned. have to have an athletic description, although of yeah. course you should have one. You should have one, and you can get one by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash tifo and getting fifty percent off an annual subscription and a thirty-day free trial to read uh, some of Jack and Charlie's things. Realize it's rubbish and then not subscribe. I think that's the that's no, not that at all. Do do please subscribe. January's upcoming. It's the transfer window. It was very exciting, isn't it? Everyone, everyone's obviously always really, really excited about it. Mourinho is known as a, a manager who likes to spend money and buy new players. Is there money available for a start? I think there will be. I think okay. Mourinho wouldn't have taken the job if he were not able to spend money. I know that in his unveiling press conference, he said that he didn't need to spend because this squad was a present. I think in reality, they do. he knows they need more players. They will be looking in the market. Um, in terms of names they're linked with, the one that keeps coming up is Bruno Fernandes of Sporting Lisbon, who, of course, Pochettino tried to sign in the summer, but Spurs couldn't quite get the money together. Mm. I think he, he's going to be expensive. He's going to, his price is what, what it was in the summer, which is 70, 70 million euros. Yeah. But he's like a very good number 10. And with Ericsson going either in January or at the end of the season and with question marks still over Giovanni Glacelso, uh Fernandes would be an obvious pick. Uh, I think also defender uh, Ruben Diaz at Benfica is a name that I heard recently. Uh, I don't honestly, I don't know much about him. You got the Portuguese connection though. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see. It's also like a classic Mourinho move is when he goes into a new job to try and sign a player or two who he's worked with before, or who yeah. can expect a bit yeah. of loyalty from. Which which leads us on to then the idea he might go for a striker as well in a kind of Urente uh, Kane understudy mold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting though isn't it because you've got these two opposing philosophies maybe not the right word but you know Mourinho as you say is used to spending money and bringing players in obviously Levy uh, will only do deals that he thinks are really you know worth doing and January is a very hard time uh, to find value and he's been very reluctant uh, to do that previously so kind of have to see Mm. where where those two meet in the middle I kind of feel like I don't have any like I don't have any strong information for this. It's just an instinctive sense. When you appoint Mourinho, you kind of have to like adapt how you work a bit to fit him. You can't, it it just doesn't make sense to appoint Mourinho 
and then treat him like he's a manager. He's like an up and coming manager like Pochettino who's done well but never really won anything. Which is kind of what I happened kind of, at United. Where they, a little where they bit, but they still like... Refused him money or yeah, turned but they down. Still they still like, spent a lot. They still, bought, they, they still bought Lukaku. They still bought Pogba. Even at che- when he went back to Chelsea in 2013, he didn't have total control, but they still bought players and they, they were active in the market even if it was more Emanalo. I think that like to some extent, Levy cannot run Tottenham in the same way now as he did in the past because you know it's different like working with Pochino and working with, working with Pochino is different from working with the most famous manager of all time and I just feel like it, it wouldn't make sense to spend all the money on getting Mourinho in and his assistants and everything and then to say oh but you want to defend there's no more money like the money stopped here presumably he'll know but, that right yeah but th- this be. is what I think is so interesting about this sort of power dynamic because it's like who is the the kind of senior partner in all of this in the sense that as you say it would have a few years ago it would have been like Mourinho's up here Tottenham's up Tottenham's somewhere down there and they have you know they've gone on these different trajectories almost to the point where a lot of Tottenham fans really didn't want Mourinho yeah. and you know and Mourinho he his name had been tarnished a little bit I mean like, of course he could you'd expect he could get a job at a club like PSG or someone like that but like you know for a Premier League club I don't know like his reputation has you know the whole United thing um, so it's kind of whether you know who was doing more of the compromising I guess is what I'm saying you know were, yeah. is Mourinho was he told by Daniel Levy well yes you can have this job but it's not going to be 200 million being spent every summer like you're used to or you know or was it him was it Mourinho saying look I'll come but you better give me more money than you did Poch mm-hmm. that, that's a really interesting dynamic um, I remember after this happened Gary Neville was talking about this on Monday Night Football and he said it was a, he described Tottenham and Mourinho as a marriage of convenience in the sense that both of them are, it's not like a perfect long-term fit for either party. Like both mm. of them have had to compromise a bit on what they would ideally want mm. for this particular arrangement, but it does make sense to both of them here and now. Um, I do think that ultimately, I mean, it is still really jarring to see Mourinho there. And I still think that he is fundamentally much bigger than the club. Like I thought that at his unveiling press conference where there were more journalists there than there were for their press conference before the Champions League semi-final, the Champions League final last year. Like this was obviously the Champions League final is probably the biggest match that Tottenham ever played. But the appointment of Mourinho is the biggest story that has has ever happened to Tottenham. And they've never been as famous as they are now. And I just had this overwhelming sense. And and I haven't like nothing has shaken me out of this since. The overwhelming sense that Mourinho is simply much bigger than Spurs. Like the only other thing I can compare it to is when back in 2016, when Guardiola showed up at Manchester City, as in a club which hadn't won an awful lot and then a superstar manager. But even then, City had won the Premier League in 2012 and 2014. Like it's kind of, I, I've been trying and trying and I cannot think of another precedent quite like this, where you have the superstar manager and a club which is still like aspirational rather than elite. Hmm. I'm also the reason I think neither yeah. of us spoke immediately is because we were trying to think uh, would, as well. Would like an Ancelotti at Napoli or something like that? I mean, he's he's such like you know football and royalty, and they they are more of a kind of upstarty, yeah. challenger kind of club. Though. He is old. He's yeah. kind of you know he, he's royalty, he's but he's like kind of cuddly royalty. Yeah, <laughs> he's not he like is cuddly. A, he's not yeah. box office. He's like mm-hmm. a dream father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mourinho, does that slightly speak as well to the fact that not many managers have had that kind of decline in perception anyway that Mourinho's had uh, in, the, in the last few years? You know, it tends to be once you get from, to that From level. the top. Yeah, right. if you think he was right at the very top and then yeah. has, his name has been tarnished, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, yeah well, if this, like, I can't actually think of a... I can't actually think of a good example because generally, like someone like Ferguson or Wenger, they both quit after a long... I mean, Wenger hasn't retired as a manager yet, but they both stopped managing after a long spell in their kind of definitive job. I suppose maybe if you looked at someone, maybe one of these other older older Italian managers, like a... like Sacchi, a Lippi, Like a Lippi or Ancelotti, mm, yeah. doing slightly different... Or Capello, perhaps doing slightly different levels of job after they retired. But none of them, even at their best, like Lippi, Capello, Ancelotti, never had quite the same the same kind of like cachet yeah. as Jose. Jose is a very much like Cultive. a 21st century invention, I mm. think really, who who would have, whose 
like psychological power and media profile and fame couldn't really have existed in quite the same way I think in the 20 in 20 in like the 1980s and 90s what about Brian Clough well, yeah I suppose so going to what going to Brighton yeah maybe but that's yeah and that that works but it's just a diff and maybe different he didn't time. have that same kind of like well maybe he did have that Rel- same re- relative to- we should get Jonathan Wilson on we're in the yeah. wrong pla- you got the wrong guests right yeah yeah, I often think that when Jonathan Wilson's not here, <laughs> I've got the wrong guest. Yeah, um, can I? Can we just have a very quick look at the at, at the squad? Then we've talked about names that Spurs are are connected to, uh, or you know, at least at least in the, the sort of gossip news cycle, um, and maybe players that that Mourinho might want to bring in. When the two of you look at the squad as it is and the team and where the deficiencies might be, um, is there are there any obvious areas in need of improvement? I think the fullbacks is the thing that, that was such a great strength when you think to that team that we keep talking about, that 2016-17 team, mm. uh, when they had Rose and Walker. Yeah. Rose actually injured for a lot of that season, but you know that was their peak years and that those two were so important to that. And that's been yeah. a huge drop-off to what they have now on both sides, despite okay. Aurier's recent improvement. It's an expensive place to go, go and look. It isn't is, it? yeah. So important these days. Okay, okay, fine. Well, listen, guys. Thanks so much for coming in. Have I missed anything that you wanted to talk about? We've been pretty, ex- we've been pretty so. broad, haven't we? Yeah. Quite a, I think we've done a good job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, well, Jack, thanks for coming back. My pleasure. Uh, Charlie, thanks for coming in first time. Pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Thank you very much, Anne. Yeah. Um, and I hope that people can find uh, The View From The Lane and you, all, all the places that you would ordinarily find a podcast and do subscribe to The Athletic. And thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.